friends. My name is Sean King, and I'm the experienced pastor here at Friends Church Orange. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today for our message, and we pray that you will really hear God's voice through our speaker today. If there's any way that we can serve you, please connect with us through our website. We hope that you consider joining our community in the future. Please enjoy the message. There's, uh, there's something magical about the Christmas season, isn't there? I mean, every space you're in just kind of, you guys are amazing, uh, just kind of looks and feels spectacular, not just this one. It's your homes, it's shopping centers, it's everywhere you go. There's something magical and wonderful. It's the lights, it's the songs, it's the sounds, and there's something about kids that makes it more full that kind of brings it to life in a different way. I mean, the innocence uh, and the simplicity and the beauty, and I love that. There's something about Christmas in general that becomes a magnifying glass for everything in our life. The good things in our life seem to get bigger over the Christmas season. The way that we reflect on family and memories and time, the things that we have that we're grateful for, Christmas just magnifies those things and they get bigger. But if there's one thing I've learned in, in many years now of life experience and even some of being a pastor is that Christmas magnifies everything. Not just the good things in our life, Christmas also tends to magnify the messy things in our life, the challenges, the issues that we have. As we roll into Christmas, oftentimes those things tend to get bigger also. The circumstances that we'd rather just walk around, the relationships that are strained and difficult and challenging, all of a sudden we're like, oh, we're going to be in rooms with these people, and what are we going to do? And all of a sudden those things seem to grow bigger in our lives as well. And so that's one of the things we see. We would just... We want to shove things aside. We want to try and go around it. Maybe if I can just get to January, I can pretend or hold on or just fake my way through the Christmas season, through the messes that we have in our life. But just this past few weeks, I've been talking to people and I've asked some questions and how's your Christmas going and what are you looking forward to and what's challenging? And people have shared with me, you know, I was laid off the week after Thanksgiving I don't know how I'm going to provide Christmas for my family. Talked to a man a couple weeks ago. He said, you know, I'm separated from my wife. Trying to navigate what Christmas is going to look like. Another person said, this is the first Christmas after our divorce. We're trying to figure out how to co-parent and what that looks like. Another family, just like me, I lost my father this year. This is the first Christmas there'll be an empty seat at the table. And so you don't have to look too hard to see that Christmas brings a lot of mess along with the magic and the wonder and the beauty. But instead of maybe trying to go around it or trying to pretend it doesn't exist or hide or fake our way through that mess, what if that's exactly why Christmas exists? What if Christmas exists not in spite of the mess? What if Christmas exists for the mess? And that's why I want you guys just to consider. What if, what if Christmas, what if this Christmas is actually different than you thought, but more than you ever imagined? What if Christmas can actually bring together the beauty and the wonder and the awe and the hope 
And you don't have to try and pretend or go around the difficult things in your life, but you can actually invite Christmas right into the middle of it. And so I'm glad that you guys are here, as we're going to take just a few minutes to look at this first Christmas story and see that, yes, it was magical, and it was beautiful, and it was wonderful, and worth celebrating, and it was terribly messy. We're going to look at Luke, one of the most famous and familiar accounts in the Gospels of of the Christmas story. It'll sound familiar to you probably whether you've been in church your whole life or if this is your first time here tonight. But he begins in verse one, it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I read these verses, and you can almost feel the Christmas story come to life because we've seen it our whole lives. Lots of us have nativity scenes probably in our home, and most of the images probably look similar to this, right? Just this silent night, this sense of quiet and beauty. Just, you know, all the shepherds and even Mary and Joseph just kind of quietly looking over the baby Jesus. Why isn't anybody ever holding the baby? Did you ever wonder that? Why are they just looking at him in the manger? Like, why doesn't hold Jesus? Maybe they're terrified. I don't know. But you've got sheep and you've got cows and they always seem to just be smiling and everything seems so peaceful and wonderful and beautiful. And it is. And it's also incredibly and terribly messy. If we understand just a little bit more of the context of these very same verses, we see that first Christmas was incredibly magical and it was also really messy. There was a mess of Christmas that was happening. We know that those were very messy days, messy times that they were living in. The very first three words of the passage, in those days. And that's not just a time stamp. Probably like you, you're thinking, wonder what those days were like. Well, we know some things about those days. We know that God's people, the Israelites, they were living oppressed by the Roman Empire. And so there was oppression and there was hatred. There was violence. There was anger. There was racism. There was sexism. And you can imagine the political turmoil that existed and the pain that would have been created, the tension as you walked through the streets with people that were incredibly different than you. The anxiety and the fear and the worry, that's what they were living in. And not only that, we see that this first Christmas, they had to return to Bethlehem because of this census that Caesar wanted to do. And a census, we know what a census is. It simply just counts people. And why would Caesar, the ruler of the day, want to count people? To raise taxes, of course, to get more money. And here's what we know. Taxes at the beginning of Caesar's reign were around 60%. 60, not 16, not six, 60. When he finished, good for him, they were about 80, right? So all of a sudden, California looks wonderful, doesn't it? We're like, $6 gas, bring it on. What, that's way better than 60% taxes. This is the world that they were living. This is what those days look like. And there was no government infrastructure that he was pouring all those resources into. 
There's no schools. There's no social services. None of that existed. No infrastructure. He was just pocketing money. That's what those days looked like. They were messy days. But it wasn't just messy days. There was messy circumstances. It says that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And she was expecting a child. Pledged to be married is just what it sounds like. They're not married. They're engaged. And yet she's expecting a child. And you can imagine those two things in the first century especially did not go well together. In a culture that was defined by honor and bringing honor to your family and doing things the right way at the right time, to be pregnant before you were married was a first century scandal. TMZ would have been all over it. And Mary and Joseph all of a sudden find themselves on the front page. And can you imagine the conversations that Mary would have had to have about these circumstances? The angel appears to her, promises that she's going to conceive a child that's the gift through the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in her. And she believes him. But could you imagine going back and having that conversation with your parents? Mom, dad, I'm pregnant. Is it Joseph? No, it's God. Who's going to believe that? Joseph didn't believe that. Joseph had to have an angel appear to him to say, Joseph, it's true. And so they choose to walk out this story together then, but you could imagine the shame that it would have brought on them and their family, their entire community and their village. Everybody would have abandoned them, which is why we see it's not just messy times and not messy days and messy sir. it's messy relationships. Not just what Mary and Joseph are navigating, but now what they're navigating with their family. And we see this because we see that there's no guest room available for them. It's not like all the hotels were booked up in Bethlehem. It didn't work that way. Remember, everybody's family was returning to their hometown, which means all of their families were there in Bethlehem for the census. It's like everybody coming together right now for Christmas, everybody coming into town, but all of the families are saying, I'm so sorry, Mary and Joseph, There's no room for you. You can't stay with us. There was all kinds of pain that existed in this first Christmas and in what was happening. Messy days, messy circumstances, messy relationships. And it's interesting because then we just get to see, well, what what does Christmas really show us? Christmas shows us the heart of God. Christmas shows us how much he loves us. Christmas shows us that God isn't intimidated by the mess, the mess of this world or the mess of our lives. God chooses to show up right in the middle of it. He doesn't wait for everybody to get their act together and then show up. He says, I'm going to choose to show up in the middle of the mess, not go around it. And so as, as we continue just for a few minutes talking about Christmas, let's go back to where we started Is there anything that's a little messy in your life? Is there anything that you're walking through that's creating pain that you don't know how to navigate? Anybody dealing with loss or pain or health crisis? Anybody wrestling with financial or health issues? Anybody walking through a little relational tension, maybe even in this room, and you've just been trying to hold on And find your way through tonight and tomorrow into January. You see, Christmas, Christmas is for that pain. 
Christmas is God showing up in the middle of it and saying, give that to me. I want to do something with that. And so it's in the middle of this mess that we get the message of Christmas. If we see in verse 8, it says, there were some shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, what angels always say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The message of Christmas is that God showed up. The message of Christmas is God with us. And maybe you're thinking, well, how do, how do we get that from this passage? How do we know that it's God? How do we know that it's not just another baby that was born in the first century? Well, there's a couple things right in this passage that show us that this is evidence of God. The first one is we, we know that this is Luke's account of the gospel. We know this is Luke's account of the Christmas story. And Luke, at the very beginning of the book he writes, he says, look, I wanted to write, I set out to write an accurate account so that you could trust and believe in Jesus. And so Luke, Luke is a doctor, and doctors have to be thorough. And so Luke did all kinds of research. He spent time personally interviewing, and he did all of this, and he presents this book to his friend Theophilus. And so Luke, in the midst of that, he's going he's to get things right. And the language that we see in this, when he talks about good news, that will be for all the people. And then he assigns these titles of Savior and Messiah and Lord to Jesus, to this baby. Those were titles that would normally have been attributed and given to Caesar in that day. So when Caesar would come back from oppressing another country, taking over, conquering more land, they would say, save us, you've saved us. The Messiah, of course, was the one, the chosen one that was coming to rescue, to free the people. And then, of course, Lord just means the ruling authority, the ruling authority of the land, the ruling authority of their lives. All of those titles he takes from Caesar and he gives them to Jesus, this baby in a manger. But it's not just the titles and the language. We see in the last verse, it says, this will be a sign to you. And they talk about the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. A sign is a miracle. It's evidence of Jesus. And if we look back in the Old Testament, there's a prophet, a guy named Isaiah, and he wrote this. He says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isn't that amazing? Here's what you got to know. Isaiah wrote that about 700 years before the first Christmas. He wrote that 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And that's just one of over 300 what they call prophecies, predictions, promises about who Jesus is. One of 300 that Jesus' life and death and resurrection fulfilled. And so people got together to try and go, oh my God, I, how would we even wrap our minds around? How is that possible? What are the odds that anyone, any human being, could fulfill 300 prophecies? And the best they could get is if a human was able to fulfill eight, eight prophecies, these are the odds to fulfill just eight. I can't even say that. I don't even know how to pronounce that number. There's so many zeros. And Jesus' life fulfilled over 300 
And so clearly, this is God with us. And I love this. Because the first thing that the angels say is, don't be afraid that God's with you. Don't be afraid. And I don't know about you, but so often, maybe you were invited to come to church tonight. Maybe this is your first time ever or in a long time. You're thinking, how's this going to go and what does this look like? And if your friend who invited your family said, hey, it's going to be great. God's going to be there. Would you be more excited or less excited? Like, I don't know about you, but the idea, the picture, the, the image that I had of God when I was a kid growing up was that he would have been standing at the door with like a clipboard, just waiting to go, all right, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that mess in your life. Let's see where you've really screwed things up. Let, I mean, like he was some sort of cosmic policeman ready to sentence me, or that he's like some kind of supernatural Santa that started the naughty and nice list and who's in and who's out. Like that was my view of God. And it would have been terrifying for me. But is that really who God is? Because the power, that's right, the answer is no. The power of this is that Jesus shows us who God really is. Like we have perceptions, we have ideas, but Jesus shows us who God is. And we start to see it even at his birth. God with us, Emmanuel. God, the creator of everything, powerful, majestic, creative, beautiful. All of that wrapped in a baby, a human being. And you think about that. He limited himself. He humbled himself. And why would he do that? So he could understand us. So that not only is he with us, he is like us. You see, he endured pain and messy circumstances. He knows what it's like to be betrayed or to be hurt or to be abandoned. He endured physical pain and emotional pain and loss. He understands even unanswered prayer as he's crying out to his father before he goes to the cross to die. And he's saying, is there any other way? And God was just silent. See, God with us, Jesus shows us what God is like. And he grows up and he starts to teach us about what he's like and and he demonstrates it. He starts to initiate and talk about this this new kingdom, this new reign, this new rule that exists of, of kindness and compassion and of love and of grace and of forgiveness. And then he puts that on display through these signs, through these miracles that he does. You see, if you want to know what God's really like, you just got to look at the life of Jesus. The Bible says he shows us what God is like. And the message of Christmas is that God is with us. And maybe, maybe that's news for some of you. I don't know if you've ever considered that. I mean, maybe you thought Christmas was about us just gathering and remembering this amazing story that happened over 2,000 years ago. But you see, Christmas is today and every day because God's with us. And that's the, the message of Christmas And while it's comforting to know, I don't know about you, while it's comforting to know that God shows up in the midst of the mess and he's not intimidated by the mess, if you're like me, what you really want is for God to do something about the mess. It's like, it's nice that you came, but like, are you going to do something with the mess that exists in this world or even in my life? And that's where we see the gift of Christmas played out in this passage. Verse 13, it says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The meaning of Christmas, the gift of Christmas, 
is peace. Peace on earth. We see that everywhere. Peace, the idea of, of shalom is the word. Nothing broken, nothing missing. Everything's whole and beautiful and wonderful. And it's as it should be. And you see, that's the way God designed everything. If you go back for extra credit, you can just read the first couple pages of Genesis. And God creates everything beautiful and it's harmonious and it's incredible. But what happened? We ruined it because we wanted to be like God. We thought we could make our own decisions. We thought we could be big enough and powerful enough and strong enough to even manage the messes of this world and our life. And over time, then, we have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years now of you and me and human beings just making choices to try and be like God, even to try and bring peace, to be good enough, to be smart enough, to be influential enough, to be powerful enough, to try and achieve a relationship with God, to even bring peace. But we know that it never works, and God knew that it was impossible. That's why he said, I have to come and solve this problem. You can't even solve the messes that you make in your life, so I will. And so he shows up and gives us Jesus, God, with us. And then we know he lives this life, everything we talked about, ultimately dying on the cross to pay the price of all the sin and the brokenness and the damage and the messes that we make in our lives and in this world. But he doesn't stay dead. He rises to demonstrate that he has the power and authority, that he is the Lord and ruler of everything. And that's how he brings peace. But I know what you're probably thinking. You're thinking, that sounds amazing. But if there is, in fact, peace on earth, it seems like he's doing a terrible job. Because have you seen the world? It doesn't sound a whole lot different than that first century in those days when he showed up. And that's why we have to get our final lesson from the shepherds. And this is in verse 15, and it says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Once again, nobody holding the baby. I don't know why, just lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You see, for us to experience the peace on earth, for the peace on earth to become the peace in me, you got to see for yourself. The shepherds got this incredible message that I just shared with you, that God is in fact here. He's present. He showed up. And he's bringing peace on earth, that peace is possible, that life is possible, that forgiveness is possible, that grace is possible. And it's all there, but you got to go see for yourself. Because what did they encounter? They encountered Jesus. They experienced Jesus. They trusted and believed that this was, in fact, Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And it changed them. And they started sharing this story with everyone, and, and peace on earth became peace in them, which they began to share this peace with the people around them. And that's how God's peace shows up in the world today. You see, God's peace comes through God's people. That's how it spreads. That's how we get these glimpses of peace all through this world. 
And here's what's interesting. The peace in them, you know what's fascinating, is God, actually, you think about the mess that these shepherds were living in. I I don't even have time to talk about it. But the interesting thing is, it says that they went back. They returned to their jobs. They returned to their flocks. They returned to their families. They returned to their circumstances. And it was all the same. The only thing that was different was them. You see, sometimes... God will change our circumstances, but God will always change you in the midst of your circumstances. And that's the power of peace. That's the power of Christmas. That's the power of God with us. And that's how we get to see this peace lived out in the world around us. You're sitting around people and agents of peace. As a church, just the generosity of people's time and talent and treasure, and finances, and resources. There's peace that gets spread all throughout the city and community because of the people you guys are sitting around right now. There's a store that we have downtown called Full Circle. And it's amazing because we get to give lots of stuff, and we get to buy lots of stuff. This Full Circle right here, Christmas outfit, you know what I mean? But here's the thing. It's not about the stuff. It's about the people, and it's about the peace that comes through the people. I mean, just this past week, we had social workers bring foster kids and their families in just to shop for free so they could have a Christmas. It's God's peace. Just this morning, we had an opportunity through our our Hub Resource Center to give Christmas to over 200 of our homeless friends that live in this city. Gave them gifts, gave them meals. We had families cooking all day yesterday just so they could come up and show them and see just peace. It's being shared with people in this community. We had people a couple weeks ago, a gal whose life was changed when she was little because a church gave her a Christmas gift while her father was in prison. And she said, could we do that? And I said, absolutely. And in the past week, we've given hundreds of gifts to kids whose parents are in prison on behalf of those parents because it's peace that's spread through God's people. There's people in this church whose lives, God has brought peace through his power. And they've recovered from addictions. And they're walking out these powerful, courageous stories of healing and recovery. And they've said, could we start a recovery ministry here? We said, absolutely. You see, that's how peace gets woven into the world today. God's peace is here. And it's available to everyone through God's people. And so as we close, I just want you to think about where we started. Is there something that's a little messy in your life? Is there a circumstance? Maybe there's something you've just been hiding, pretending, afraid to even tell anyone. Maybe it is just relationship and tension. You're terrified of the service being over and where you're headed to dinner tonight or waking up and walking into the room you have to walk into tomorrow. Maybe it is loss. But where's the mess in your life? And what if Christmas is different than you thought but more than you imagined? What if Christmas isn't about pretending or hiding or going around that place? 
What if Christmas is actually for that? And what if this Christmas you do what the shepherds did? And you go see for yourself. And you trust and you believe that this is Jesus, God with us. If you would, just close your eyes. Let me pray over you as we just respond to the message of Christmas. So Father, tonight I believe that you have been speaking to every single person here. I believe that you have once again reminded us of who you are, that you are loving and you are good, that you are faithful and you are kind, that you are forgiving and you are gracious, that you are powerful and that you are present, and that you are here to meet us in the midst of our mess. And so I pray that you would help us, help us to choose you, to trust you, to believe in you, to acknowledge that we can't navigate the messes of this world or the messes of our lives on our own. And to take our first step or maybe even our next step of faith with you. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.